Welcome to the Behavioral Grooves Grooving Session on Ben Parr. I'm Kurt Nelson. And I'm Tim Houlihan. In this episode, Kurt and I are grooving on the conversation that we had with the author of the best-selling book, Captivology, The Science of Capturing People's Attention, Ben Parr. If you want to hear our complete conversation with Ben, check out the previous episode for that discussion in its entirety. Our conversation with Ben delivered some outstanding insights into the ways we gain and maintain the attention of others. So Tim, let's groove on this. Let's discuss what we talked about with Ben, have a free-flowing conversation, and maybe maybe just groove on whatever else comes into our on-fire, bonfire brains. Yes, bonfire brains. Actually, let's get started with that. Let's just listen to what Ben had to say about the bonfire analogy. Just in the same way you can't just like start a bonfire without an ignition or without kindling. And so it is a process to build up attention like a bonfire. But once the bonfire is going, it keeps on going. If you like, it goes on for a very long time. And it's the same kind of thing with attention. You do have to refuel it once in a while. Just mm-hmm. like the same kind of thing. Like the analogy like works almost perfectly because you do have to refuel it once in a while, but it'll keep on going on its own. So what do you think, Tim? Good analogy? Meh analogy? Blah analogy? Fantastic analogy. I, I think it's it's so great because for me, it's about process and it's about taking time. Those are the, the two things that I love about the idea of the bonfire. That you can't just do it all at once. Doesn't just happen instantaneously. You have to start with ignition. You have to have good kindling, and you have to grow the fire. But once it's going, it's not all that difficult to maintain. But it takes time, and I think that these are things that we fail to include in marketing plans. We think that just because we launched the marketing plan this week, that we'll instantly have five thousand hits. We'll instantly have more converts. We'll have more people signing up. It's like no. It's a path. You know, we we talked about this with uh, Matthew Wilcox, the idea that there's a pathway, there's a process. So start it, do it. Everything is going to contribute. Everything can be a milestone and moving you down the path, but you've got to have a process in place. And the bonfire is that. So the million downloads that we wanted for behavioral <laughs> grooves just isn't going to just happen after this episode. What do you mean? Isn't it's already this... happened. Oh, man. <laughs> We, we, we have a little spark, right? And we need to nurture that spark. And we need to make sure that there's enough tinder that yeah. that spark actually has something to burn. And I, I love that analogy yeah. from the perspective that, hey, if you think about this, that a bonfire just doesn't happen, right? It can. It can happen quickly. But you need these elements for it to happen. And oftentimes, it takes a while to get started. And there's that slow burn aspect of attention and capturing that attention. And I think this is the key piece here. And as we're thinking through, if I'm a marketing person, if I am even a general business manager, an entrepreneur, a solo person who is going out trying to do work, I always, we we have this false sense that if I just put things out there, then the world will come to me. (laughs) <laughs> I may, maybe I'm over generalizing that. Maybe that's no, just my, that's it. maybe it's my own, own thing. Like if I put this out there, then the world will come to me and they'll be looking for me and asking for me and they'll want the work that we do, but that's not how it works. You have to, yes. you have to have that spark 
but you also have to build the kindling and then you have to make sure you're rekindling it. And hey, sometimes that spark kind of goes out and you might have to blow on it. You might have to do some other facets to get that going and build that flame back up. But then hopefully you'll get a nice bonfire. Exactly. And this is what the world tells us. If you just put it out there, people will respond. Jeez, Kurt, your ideas are so great. You know, if you just put them out there, I I, I actually had a, a conversation with Dan Auerbach of the Black Keys uh, one time, and I'm trying to persuade him to listen to my work, right? So that he would kind of give it a green light. And I said, Dan, I'm looking for your advice. And, and he says, well, like for what? I said, well, I want to get to the next level as a songwriter. And he said, well, you got to start by putting it out there. And I said, Dan, that's what I'm doing right now. I, I'm, <laughs> I, I produce six CDs and I'm giving you, I'm giving you my work and, and that's what I'm trying to do. And so like everybody has this natural response of saying, oh, just put it out there. But you got to have the right igniter. You've got to have the right kindling. It's that damn Field of Dreams movie, <laughs> right? You know, yeah. if you build it, they will come. Oh, yeah. That isn't the case. It's not how that works. You know, you need to make sure that you are getting the word out there, that you're getting the word out there to the right people at the right time in the right context. All of those things that happen. So, all right. What can we take away from the bonfire analogy, Tim? What, what can we do there? Well, let's, if, if you starts with ignition, do you have the right igniter? Do you actually have the right stuff to make a good ignition? Are you, do you have the right content? What is your igniter? Yeah. Now, I think, I think you got to be thinking about what is it that you're going to actually cause your spark with to, you know, just to kind of play off this metaphor. I don't know what, what, what else, Kurt? If you're thinking about the application of this, right? The, the metaphor itself is wonderful. And so when you think about that, you talked about the igniter already, but then you have to think about, all right, so if I do get a spark, is there anything after that 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 spark can <laughs> right. burn? Is there kindling right. there? And what do I do need to do in order to maintain that? Now, you may not always know that in advance. You may not know exactly. You might have multiple sparks going and none of them really catch flame. And you have to be ready to be able to catch the the one that starts and then build that and utilize that. So I think there's an element of flexibility. I think there's an element of thinking through this metaphor, but understanding the igniters and the kindling that are required for this. And so if I'm a business person, those are the things that I want to be thinking about. Yeah. Okay. What what else do you want to groove on? Well, you know, he Ben talked about some performers and how intentionality and context play into the success in their own venues. And I loved this part of the conversation. And part of his book. It is a fantastic part, but let's listen to what Ben actually has to say about this. Cause I think it's really cool. Cause if you're just like running through like an entrance and you only hear four seconds of Joshua Bell, that's not going to be enough time for you to be like, I need to go and hear it. But Susan will pick the middle of a long hallway where you have to like, it takes like 20 seconds to go and like walk to her and then 20 seconds or more to walk out. All right, Tim running through the subway or leisurely <laughs> strolling through the subway. Hey, it's a subway. So I mean, hey, th right there, you got a whole big context of that going on, but. Oh yeah. All, all kinds of things. But, and I've had this experience and, you know, talked about it when we were talking with Ben, but it's a big difference to be 
there's a huge difference in terms of attention grabbing, whether you're at the entrance or or you're in in you know in a hallway where you've got lots of reverberation. And and so for being a musician, one context is definitely better than the other, mm. right? You, you want you want people to kind of hang around. But what if you're what if you're just passing out? What if you're trying to intercept people for a survey? You mm. know, you know, where where do you want to intercept them then? Do you want to be at the at the entrance or be standing in line for the for the train? You know, or the the example that you've used multiple times. Do you want to have business people on their lunch break, or do you want to have vacationers? Exactly. Right? And you think again. Exactly. These these are some of the unintuitive pieces in in your work, and you can tell that story. But it wasn't necessarily who I would have anticipated. Right. Tell that story. Right. Right. Uh, I went out to survey people about uh, vacation travel. And we used uh, the the noon hour, the lunch hour, in a busy area of Minneapolis where there's both business people and tourists, and found that the business people were happy to take time to answer the survey, and the tourists were absolutely against the idea of taking time. They just gave us a no, you know, uh, we're not going to talk to you. And it was because vacation time is personal time. You're using my time. But the business people were like, eh, I can go to work. I can be 15 minutes late to work. That's not, yeah. that's not my time. That's the company's time. So I think the the insight here, and we've talked about this time and time again, this is a common theme that runs through almost every really? single one of our conversations is that context matters, that the context is key. And it's not just the environmental piece. It's not just if you're at the beginning of the, at the entrance of the subway or in the tunnel or in the platform. There's a different context from what is the emotional state of the people that I'm trying to get their attention, right? How are they showing up? How am I showing up? What is that context? What is the time context that is being uh, impacted here? Are people in a rush? Are people leisurely? Is it my own time? Is it my vacation time? Or is it business time and hell, I'll spend an extra 15 minutes because that just means I don't have to go back into the office. Exactly. Exactly. Context is it. And and so from an application perspective, I think we have to start with an intentionality. If we're going to get into this, we've got to have intention, right? Uh, you got to know what your North Star is, or if you're in the Southern Hemisphere, what your Southern Cross is. <laughs> right? you, you know, not everybody's got the view of the North Star. But what are your values? What are you valuing? And I think that it's important for us to start thinking about what do I want to get done? How how do I want to get it done? If I if, and to bring the bonfire in, what are my igniters? What's the kindling that I've got going? What kind of context am I going to be starting this this fire in? Think That's, about that. That's actually an interesting piece when we think about all right. Is the context of the bonfire? Is it a wonderfully dry day with really good kindling and really good igniters? Or is it a windy, crazy day that there's slight rain going on? Is my wood wet? Is, you know, is all of those pieces? All right. I'm going drawing the analogy <laughs> a little spent, bit more than we, we need to. No, but, but I can tell you spent a lot of time camping. You know, you know. <laughs> we have, we have. I understand this idea of starting a fire and how important it is. But I, I like your piece on intentionality because Here's a concept. If you're not intentional, then you're going to be the victim of the context that you find yourself in. So, but if you're intentional about it, then you can maybe overcome the context. You can 
you can choose how you show up as opposed to the context deciding for you how you're going to show up and thus maybe impact how you are presented to others and all of those factors that are going into that. Absolutely. Kurt, what else? What else did you want to groove on? The difference between synthesizing and curating. Yeah, or how they fit together too, right? Mm-hmm. Ah, yeah. the difference or the, the connectivity here. So, you know, again, let's listen to what Ben talks about when he's talking about synthesizing. And I can't say that word. You're doing great saying that word, but let's let's listen to Ben. You talk to a lot of people, you go try to figure out the future, and then you synthesize it in some way into a thesis, into a book, into a video, because our attention cannot handle the sheer amount of information that is around us. And so that we rely on others and to synthesize that information that we're interested in, that we need into something that is digestible, because otherwise we would go mad. A critical piece of a curator or a great writer or a great artist more important than what is curated is like what is not curated. All right. So I love the concept of thinking about how do you take all of this information that is out there, this data overload, and in Ben's mind, synthesize it, put things together with it, combine it in different ways, bring it together that's the synthesis of this. And then on the other side, there's the curation part, which we talked about later. We didn't show it here, but in the interview, go back and listen to the full interview. We talk about how um, John Levy curates people and his different things and this curation. And, you know, synthesis is about combining and creating things from that combination. Curating is basically to gather and to gather certain things and then present that to others. So, There's this combination of this idea of maybe both being able to take a whole bunch of data and curate it, right? And then this idea of also finding the synthesis within that data. What is this piece and how does that combine with this? And if you put those two pieces together, does that make a new thing or a new way of looking at something? Those are the things that if you can do that, you can write that book. You can create that video that he talks about. You can create the blog. You can create the podcast, right? Look, we're synthesizing behavioral science and music. We combine the two to make a really interesting podcast. And we're curating the people that we have on. And we're curating the cop- topics that we talk to. So that's a fantastic example right there. I hadn't even thought of using uh, this podcast is an example, but that's great. Rohit Bargava is, is still like the king of curation for me and synthesizing because he does such a wonderful job of just doing this regular sort of tracking of what's important or what's topical right now. What what are the things that he sees? What catches his attention? And then he starts to starts to kind of pull all that together. Now he talks about it only in curation, but there is a synthesis that's going on before he gets to the creation. And I think you did a great job of explaining those two. I, I'm I'm not going to go into those again, but but both Rohit and Ben talk about that this takes time. That this is an effort that you need to put forward. That that's the reason why it's valuable for others because we are overloaded with data. There is so much raw data out there that we can't congregate it. We can't pull it all in. We can't 
be able to be expected to understand all of it. So we're looking for those people who can, A, curate the information into packets of information that are going to be valuable for me, that I'm going to be able to go, oh, this is the person I should listen to, not those other 10 yahoos that are out there, this person, because they have something important that's going to be of value to me. And wow, there's this element of taking the idea from from over here, point A, and looking at it through this lens of point B and maybe combining it with, with whatever is going on in C, and you get this whole different mix of things that's valuable as well. I wonder if one of the big issues that you spoke to, you mentioned that Ben talks about taking time, but maybe it really is the most important aspect of all of this because we are naturally pattern seeking. Like humans Mm. are going to identify patterns, but without taking time to actually look at what the data is, we we probably won't recognize those patterns. Well, and... There's so much data, right? We are on cognitive overload with the amount of oh, yeah. data that we have on, on hyperdrive, right? That That's yeah. this whole idea. And I think there's an element of noise here, right? Not necessarily the noise that Kahneman and, and uh, Sunstein and, and Siboni talk about, this, this variance. I mean, just talking static background noise that makes it hard to discern any patterns that are there. Oh, you, yeah. have to, you have to remove things. You have to curate things in order to actually potentially see that pattern. In addition, you need that time and the focus to be able to cut through all of the clatter that is out there to see, is there a rhythm? Is there a pattern? Is there something that I need to pay attention to that is going to be beyond this? I think that's that's a really key piece and really good insight. Absolutely. If you would indulge me, I'd like to uh, make sure that we mention th- this "be yourself" thing. You know, before uh, before we go there, Tim, can we talk about some of the applications about what synthesizing and curating can do? So, if I am somebody who is a marketer and or a business person in general, and I think Ben talked about this really well, it's right is what are you leaving out? Not only what are you including in the curation, but what are you leaving out? What is this aspect of, yes, finding those patterns, as you said, we need to find the patterns. That's key. But two, once you are, if you are curating for yourself, if you're curating for your brand or your business, what are the pieces that you're including and what are the pieces that you're leaving out? Because there's too much information. And, And as Ben said, I love this idea that, you know, we, because our attention cannot handle the sheer amount of information that is around us. And he also talks about this idea that, look, if I put every beat that comes into my mind into the song, it's going to be a 10 minutes of just crappy, you know, thing. You have to discern the rhythm that you want people to understand and provide that in a way that is attention grabbing and valuable for them. So that's, that's my my piece. But yes, now let's move on to being yourself. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, uh, Ben emphasized this idea of individual skills and talents and being just who we are. And I think that he said it really well. So I just wanted to, to get refreshed on what Ben had to say, and then we can groove on it. It's superhuman to 
compare yourself and to aspire because we all need benchmarks. Like if some people like really aspire, like I just aspire to be whoever I am for, for mine. I think a lot about like, how can I like just be me and like be a better version of me and like consistently improve, but still stay true to the core of who I am. So do you think I was myself when I interrupted you last time? <laughs> you were totally being yourself. <laughs> and you there know, are. Oh, go ahead. Well, like Oscar Wilde said, you know, why not be yourself? Because it's a lot more difficult to be somebody else or something like that. I'm doing a terrible job of paraphrasing that, but it's important to be ourselves. But we are constrained by social pressure, by the idea yeah. that we have to be a certain way, that we have to show up in situations looking a certain way, talking a certain way, thinking a certain way. And I, I like this idea that, hey, be yourself and you'll find the wonderful thing about today. You know, that might not have been as easily done 50 years ago or 100 years ago or maybe even 20 years ago. But today, with the way that we are connected and all the different groups out there for good and bad, if you're yourself, there's probably a group of people that are going to like you for who you are. It and, might be a small group. It might be a really small group. Well, that's my <laughs> fault. You know, that's the small group around me. I'm speaking from personal experience there. Yeah, I know. But, but you can find that group that is going to appreciate you for what you are. And, and I think that that is bigger than a person thing too, that this is a company, this is a brand, this is different pieces. And it gets into, wow, can we be that niche? But I think we can. And um, that's a, that's a good piece. The world is big enough. The world is big enough to be that, that niche. I, I, I think that that's, that's a good thing to do. It also highlighted for me that Ben is not a mushy guy. You know, he's not some kind of maudlin, you know, sentimental dude. He's a business guy looking for an edge. And yet he's also the genuine article. He's absolutely through and through real. And I loved this part of the conversation when he was emphasizing this, uh, this be yourself thing. I thought that that was terrific. Yeah, it caught you, didn't it? And you just yeah. used maudlin in this conversation, which I think is fantastic. <laughs> it also reminded me of of our conversation with Larry Sen. He wasn't using the word North Star, but he talked about the mood elevator and how important it is to, to start with gratitude. And I think being yourself connects directly to, you have to start with some gratitude about who you are and the circumstances that you've got and not just whine and bitch all day about how things aren't going the way you want to. Which, oh, man. By, by the way, I'm speaking from personal experience on this one too. Oh, God, I can't, what do you mean? I want to just, ah, anyway, I get, no, you're very, that's very true. Right. This idea that, look, if you understand, and this I think is, is a hard thing for many people. I know it's a hard thing for me. The hard part about being true to yourself is sometimes you don't know who you are. You're still trying to figure out who you are. Like, who is Kurt? Who is Tim? You know, who know. are we? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, who are you? And, <laughs> isn't there a song who who are you anyway but the this idea that we have this permanent being in ourselves i think is also a misnomer that we are always 
modifying and changing ourselves and thinking through the context that we're in and how do we show up. And so we have not one self-identity, but multitude of self-schemas. And that is a really interesting piece when you think about showing up as you, because the you that shows up isn't always that same person. But I like when you talk about that North Star, there's there's some guiding principles that about what type of person you can be. And that I think is is a key piece of this. And and yeah, let's have that show up. I'd love the way you say it. You said that. That was just um, that just absolutely spoke to me. Thank you. All right. Well, we better stop speaking to people because I'm sure their <laughs> attention is not being captivated uh, any longer because we're just rambling on. So thank you for joining us on our grooving session for Ben Parr. We think that there are a couple things that you can put to use in your personal or business life from this. The first is that, hey, attention is the currency of the modern economy. That was a key piece of Ben's message. Look, it's yeah. not not it's about grabbing attention, right? And that is the currency of, of today's economy. And if you want to get beyond your current context, you're going to need attention to do so. So one key aspect that keeps coming up in many of our episodes is understanding that context. And if you want to capture attention, you need to understand the context that your potential audience is in, what they are doing, where they are, how they're feeling, what's going to trigger them. That's where it goes. Tim? Yeah, I think the second thing that we should take away from this conversation with Ben is to take time to synthesize and curate just a bit of your life, right? What what has happened in the past week? Make some notes on what worked and what didn't. Identify the things that you want to synthesize. Look for the patterns across the fields of what you spent time on, how you invested your effort, what kind of results that you delivered, and then curate the list. Like, what should stay and what should go, right? Because that's a, a central to this whole thing. Um, what do you want to do more of? What do you want to do less of? You've got to be intentional. Intentionality, that's an important aspect of all behavioral efforts. So begin this week with some intentions and be specific. What do you want to do? What is your North Star? And with those questions, we thank you for listening and we appreciate your support. Absolutely. We also uh, want to be sure that you listen to our conversation with Chester Elton in the midweek uh, update of the episodes. Uh, Chester is the author of 13 books on rewards and recognition, including one of my all-time favorites, The Carrot Principle. We explore gratitude and how important gratitude is both in our work lives, but also in our personal lives. So we think you'll like it because, well, we sure did. Okay. Without you, our listeners, we wouldn't be able to have these conversations. And so we are very grateful for you listening. So with a grateful mindset, we hope that this week you go out and find your groove.